Well, it's hard to believe that we have gotten all the way to the end of our short consideration of this life of faith. Um, we've been thinking about the different aspects of what it means to walk by faith, that which comes after that coming into the kingdom of God by faith. We thought about how that affects us with respect to um, our overcoming sin and the tendencies in ourselves. We've thought about that, how that affects us as we face just the general problems and possibilities of life. But tonight we want to think about it, how faith affects and should result in our lives touching other lives. So let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Father, we do come to give you thanks that you are great, greatly to be praised. The God of glory, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God with a plan and a purpose. And we come to give you thanks for that purpose tonight. We come to give you thanks for our part in that purpose. And we are asking you to teach us again by your spirit as we're gathered together. You who alone can write the word on our heart, do it. Cause your word to take root in us. Enable us to live as you have died that we should live. And we're trusting you for that, and we would pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> if you turn with me to the book of, of John, John chapter 15. We're going to be reading a long section from that in order to uh, think about this matter of our walk and what it means with respect to others and blessing to others. Now, as we come to this passage, let me just say that there are some uniquenesses to it that I want to note before I even read it. First of all, it is interesting, it's the last, it starts off with the last of the seven I am statements of the book of John. But this one is different than the others that come before. It's different for a number of reasons, but the one we want to note particularly is this. Up until this time, all of the I am statements have to do with what Jesus can be to us in blessing. I am, Jesus said, the bread of life. And so for us, He is the one who feeds us. He is the light of the world, the one who gives direction and, and gives meaning to what we're doing. I am the door of the sheep. Of course, that's speaking about the way to come to God. It's through Him that I can come to God. I am the good shepherd. And we all know that's, that's so fundamental to us, that He is the shepherd of the good shepherd of the sheep. I am the resurrection in the life, and that brings joy to us and hope in the face of the reality of death that we face. Then you know, earlier in this passage, the, I am the way, the truth, and life. They all have to do with what Jesus can be to me. But now he says this, I am the true vine. Um, and when he says the true vine, he's not talking about what Jesus can be to me. He is going to launch into a long, a prolonged metaphor in which he describes what I can be or what how God can glorify himself through us as we are rightly related to Jesus Christ. It's different. And it's important that we see that because all of those I am's lead to that. All that Jesus can be to me, all that the Lord can has done for me should and must lead to a place where my life means something to other people. What does that, what are we thinking about there? Well, that's what we want to look at. Now, let me just, uh, as we get ready to read this, make uh, a couple other disclaimers about the whole thing. Number one, I want you just, I don't have time to explain this, all right? But there is conflict about who's the recipient of all this. We know that this was directed towards the remaining 11 apostles that's in the upper room. Well, we think it's in the upper room. He may have been not. He may have already left. He said in the end of four, chapter 14, Arise, let's go from here. We don't know whether they got up and left, and this was given on the path to Gethsemane as they went, or whether they just got ready to leave and he continued in his message. It doesn't make a whole lot of difference. It is interesting, though, just this really on the side. I better go quickly on this one. But if it was on the way, no matter where they were in the city of Jerusalem, to get to the gate through which you move to go to Gethsemane, they had to pass the temple. And on the temple doors, there was the image of a vine, which was the symbol of Israel. Right? Israel is the vine of God. There's numerous passages in the Old Testament. So it, it just, it's suggestive. He could have been right there. He said, I'm the true vine. 
right? But anyway, it doesn't matter. He could have done it at any place. But two things to note. Number one, although it's spoken to those 11 men, this this is for all of us. It's for all of us. And I'm not going to take time to explain, but those 11 men were sent out to teach us to observe everything that he said. So what he said about so told them to be, he's telling us to be. All right. So that's the first side. The second thing that uh, should be noted here is our whole right at the top there. It says the life of faith. Right. And we're talking about how faith is related to our being a blessing to others. And you will note as we read through this passage that the word faith is never used. That's important for us. It just I want to make that note beforehand. Where, where was the faith? Well, the faith is all through it. But we don't use the, he doesn't use the word faith. It's a helpful chapter to help to enable us to understand something of what the life of faith looks like without using that particular word. But let's look at it now and I'll read it. In its entirety, or we're going to go, not the entire chapter, we're going to go down through verse 16. This is chapter 15, verse 1 through 16. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now, the word we says clean there, that's the same word they use for pruning. You're, either, you're already pruned because of what I said, or uh, you could use the clean up above, but it's, it's speaking about them being pruned. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, And I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Important verse, and we want to think about it before we go back. And start through the passage. You did not choose me. You didn't choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. This is the goal to which everything is moving in this passage. Let me just know what it says here. First of all, that you didn't choose me, but I chose you. It's important for all of us to remember told you that that was impressed on me by the way the Lord brought me to himself. But no matter how you came to the Lord, it doesn't matter. In order to understand this passage, you've got to hear this, that you didn't choose the Lord. He came and got you. That's very comforting to me. I think that the one, that it isn't because I came and begged God to, to come into my life. It's because he was after me. He sought me, pursued me, trapped me, and then led me to himself. But then it also says something else. You are not you didn't you haven't chosen me, I chose you. But then he says something else. I've ordained you or I have appointed you. I chose you, then I appointed you. There's a word with a lot of force. It's a lot word with a lot of force. And to get the full force you have to understand some of the other ways it's used. It's been used in the passage already. 
in chapter or in verse 13, Jesus is speaking about himself. And he says this, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. When Jesus said that there's no greater love than one lay down their life, and we know what that is to give that life completely over, to release control of that life for your friends, he is using exactly the same word that he uses when he says, I have appointed you. So that when you do it yourself, it's laying it down. When someone else does it on your behalf or, or assigns something to you, the thought is here that you are being given a job for which you are putting your things aside to accomplish. So that that's what these disciples are being told, that I've not only chosen you, but I'm appointing you. I am asking you to follow me in this this situation. Now, they won't follow him in the same kind of a death. But this goes parallel. We won't go back to that passage, but in chapter 12, where he says that lest the corn of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it abides by itself alone. He was speaking about himself, what he would do. And he says this, if any man wants to serve me, let him follow me. Let him join me in my attitude. Let, me jo- let him join me in the path that I'm on. Now he's speaking to those. And he says, here's what was happened. I have chosen you and I've appointed you. That's where everybody wants to say, well, that's great for the apostles. But that's not just great for the apostles. That's great for us tonight. If you come to know Jesus Christ, he has a purpose for your life. And there's something you've been appointed to. And if you catch the, the mood of the entire gospel story, you realize that in fulfilling that, there is a laying down to be done. All right? If you save your life, what are you going to do? You're going to lose it. If you lose your life, what are you going to do? You're going to find it unto eternal life. He speaks about a number of those, the features of finding your life here. You get to experience what it is to be loved of God. You get to experience what it is to have joy, real joy in your, in your, uh, life. You then, he says that the reason he did this appointment is that something should happen. He appointed you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain lasting effect and we're going to we'll show this later on but a lasting effect on other lives the fruit is is not just conversions there's a lot of debate in this passage because Jesus never says exactly what the fruit is is the fruit the love is it Christ likeness is it um anyway you can come up with a whole series of different things what's all those things the fruit is Him working in my life to the extent that that life begins to affect other people in a life-changing manner, right? So you could, without knowing the Lord, comfort somebody by going up and giving them a hug when they were having a down day. But that experience comes and goes. It's, It's helpful at the moment, but it doesn't change the course of their life. It doesn't permanently bring anything to pass which has lasting value. But Jesus says this, that I've appointed you, I've, I've, or, I've chosen you, then I appointed you to go and bear fruit that has a lasting quality to it. To do something which affects people on a permanent basis. All right? And then he goes on to say this, that... Uh, that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. That's the purpose of our life. So how is that all going to be accomplished? Well, it's going to be accomplished by faith, and that's what we want to see as we go back to the beginning of the passage. That's the point. That's where he's aiming. That's where he's going. But where does he start? He starts in verse 1 with his great statement, I am the true vine. The power of that statement does not hit us as well as it hit those disciples because we don't know the Old Testament as well as they knew the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, repeatedly, God used the picture of the vine as a picture of Israel and his purpose for Israel. We don't have a number of them laid down here, but you should write down Psalm 
80, right? Look at Psalm 80. Not right now. We're not going to go there right now because there's too many things to do here. But in Psalm 80, he speaks about how God went to Egypt and took his vine out of there and planted it in the land and how it developed. But it had that point failed. Psalm 80 is particularly important because later on, he says, after it failed, that I'm going to appeal to my man, the man at my right hand, and he's going to do something to establish things again. A prophecy of what Jesus was saying here. In the passage in Isaiah, it's probably the best known of the passages, Isaiah chapter 5, Isaiah sings one of his songs. There's a number of them in those early chapters of Isaiah. He says, let me sing a song of my well-beloved, that's God, concerning his vineyard. And he describes Israel and how God had planted Israel as a, a, a particularly uh, important group of people, as a vineyard where he was looking for fruit. And in the passage, he complains that when, that is, the, the prophet complains that when God went to look for the fruit, he found to have no fruit that was any different than people he never blessed. So that the blessed people of God and the people who don't know God all look the same. And he said, this is terrible. And then he says that here's what Israel's my people. And here's what I was looking for. I was looking. There's two things he says there. I was looking for justice. I was looking for justice. And I was looking for righteousness. And he says that I didn't find that. Now, the, the important thing to there is that do you realize how much better the world would be as a whole. If the entire world knew justice, I mean, think of how many people don't have justice in their lives. Now, you just think that through. Um, And there's a few that get what maybe, well, they don't have the justice either, but justice is a big deal. Because if I'm treated fairly, that's fairness. That means that, that I won't be cheated that I will not be oppressed. Really, the blessing that would be on this life, on this earth, if there was just justice, if you could count on that, but you can't count on it, right? And then he says the righteousness. Now, the importance of the justice and the righteousness is this: that the nation of Israel was picked out for a purpose, and the purpose that they were picked out, described in Psalm sixty-seven, is this: that all the world might know God is gracious to us and bless us. And that graciousness and blessing, he says, is so that all the world might know that you're God. The purpose of God picking out Israel was to create a nation through which he could make himself known. And he was going to do that by them living a particular way in their land. They did not do it. They failed at that. And in a sense, we can say from Old Testament prophecies, God knew that they would fail in it. And it's because of that that Jesus steps in here and says, Now, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. The purpose of God through Israel was to make him known, but he wasn't. And they weren't making him known. Now, there is one last passage I want to note. is Ezekiel chapter 15. We won't turn there either. But Ezekiel says this about a vine. He says that if a vine doesn't bear fruit, it is perfectly worthless. An old message I heard one time. It, what good is the wood of a vine? It's kind of uh, rhythmic, isn't it? What good is the wood of a vine? If it doesn't, if a grape vine does not bear fruit, you can't do anything else with what you got. It's worthless. You throw it away. That is picked up. And that's in that passage. He says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw it away. I'm going to burn it. Um, and that, that, that imagery comes up in this particular passage. Now Jesus steps in there and says, you, you've thought of Israel as being the vine, I'm the true vine. I'm the real vine, and it's through me that the world is going to receive the blessing that they should have received through Israel. Right? I'm the true vine. We could all just cheer for that and go home, right? Except for one thing. He's going to go on to talk about what we are. Now, he says three things here. He says that I'm the true vine, and he says this, that my father is the vine dresser. That's also a unique feature in the I am statements. This is the first time that he said any qualification to it. He just says, this is who I am. But this time he says, I'm the 
I'm the true vine, and my Father's taking care of that. Now, I think that that is put in there because of the passages such as Isaiah. Let me sing of of my beloved concerning his vineyard. And in there, the Father is taking care of it. He says, we're in this together. Me and the Father, we're in this together. We have a purpose that people on this earth should be blessed. But if that's going to take place, if that is going to be a reality, you're involved. I'm the true vine, but you are involved in it. So he goes on to speak about our part. That's the branches. He goes on to say that I, I, I am the vine, verse 5, you are the branches. Again, this is, this is unique to this I am statement. He has a purpose, and the purpose of a vine is to bear fruit. And he is going to be the source of that fruit. The, the vine here speaks about the trunk part. And he's the one from whom everything is going to come. The one who has the life in himself. But this time he says this, you have a part. And here's your part. You're the branches. Now the branch is where the actual fruit is produced. It doesn't come out of the trunk. Branches, tendrils, whatever you want to call them, they come out. All right, you've seen grapevine. It goes out like so. And out along there, fruit will come. Doesn't have that, the fruit doesn't come there. So it's got to be out here. And he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. All right? That's incredible tonight, I think. To think that God has so worked that the purpose of God should be worked out through human beings. That's in his design. He's not, he's not begging for people to join him on this. He appoints them, right? It's not me. You didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you. I put you into this place, but you have to understand where it's at. Now, remember at the very beginning, we said that, uh, faith, one of the quali- or one of the aspects of faith is this. It seeks after God. And we saw as we've been going through here that everything God does in calling us to faith ties us to himself. And so he's going to do it again here. He's going to talk about us being tied to himself. Because if I am a branch and I'm connected to the vine, I share the life of the vine, right? The only reason a branch has liveliness in it is because it's connected to the trunk, which takes goes all the way down the root. So he's just thinking about that, that flow of sap. If you've ever done any grafting of, of plants, you know, you graft it on there and you hope that that connection is made so that the flow of the life from that trunk goes into that little, you know, what is it, the part that you're putting on there. If it does, it'll grow. If it doesn't, it just sits there. For me, it mostly sat there, but sometimes it grows and it, it takes off because this life is moving into that, right? But the, the fruit is born out here. And so that there not only is, does this picture tell us that the, um, there is a common life between the two, but there is a common purpose between the two. That, that the purpose that the vine dresser has in this vine being planted comes to pass because of both of them. That is incredible to me, that God would include us into his plan. When a couple years ago we were thinking about the book of Isaiah, chosen before the foundation of the earth, to what? The purpose, the purpose of God. That's, that's the church, chosen back here, and all of us in that were chosen so that ultimately out here there will be glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. But some of that, this is just overwhelming to me, that some of that glory to Jesus Christ in that day is coming to pass tonight. That there is the potential in this room for us to act in such a way, for, for God to move in such a way that you are changed in a way which will amplify, if you would, the glory of God in that day through Jesus Christ. Say, that's arrogant. That's the glory. <laughs> yeah, it would be arrogant. Because apart from him, I can do what? In the recording passage? Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
But I am called to do this, and it is, it is the calling of God to all of us to take that place and fulfill that role. That's why we were chosen. That's why he ordained us or, or appointed us, that we should participate in that. Now, every one of us is in that. Every one of us has that potential in the lives of the people around us. And so we're not only associated with him in that flow of life, but we're associated with him in the purpose that he's fulfilling. Again, I'm going to back off here just a minute, and we're going to go back to the passage in just a moment. But see, that's where I learned fellowship with God. We talk about the fact that faith seeks after God, and he'll let you find him, right? He's a rewarder of those who seek him. But where do you find him? Where do you get to know him? Well, you get to know him as he enables you to overcome sin. True enough. You get to know him as he proves himself to you in the difficulties of this world. But you really get to know him when you become a participant in the thing which is really on his heart. And that is the changing of lives, the setting free of people on this earth. The Spirit, this is the Lord speaking, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because what? He's anointed me to bring good news. To bring good news to people. What is our purpose tonight? To bring good news to people. Because the purpose of the trunk is going to be fulfilled in the branches as they receive life from him. I can't do this apart from him. So he locks me to himself. But then in that locking, I get to know him. And through this life, there is the flow of life to others. That, that should be happening in all of our lives. And there will be, and there will be happening in the life of every person in which he has planted them, grafted them into that, that wonderful vine. So there is the vine. Now he says there's the branches. All right. And so in coming over there, we go to the other, the next part. Um, Again, let me just say with regard that we, we have, there's nothing we can do apart from him. Remember a couple of weeks ago we were talking about this principle from the book of Colossians. All right? As you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him. It applies on every level of, of walking by faith. And how does that apply with regards here? We saw that when I came to Christ the first time, remember, I learned that I had nothing, I had sin, which I could do nothing about. And then I heard what Jesus could be to me, and then I came and trusted him, right? And he says, Dad, that's the way you walk the rest of your life. Now, what do we found out tonight with regards to who we are? We are called to bear fruit. And if we're not doing that, he's real clear about it, you just throw it away. Now, I don't think in that picture he's talking about salvation at all and losing your salvation. He's just pointing out to us. That God is glorified through the fruit-bearing of the people he's called to himself. And if that isn't happening, it's worthless. What good is the wood of a vine? And it's going to be removed completely. So it's just he's trying to impress us with how important it is that we bear fruit. All right? So we come back to that. Now back to the, the verse. If I have no capacity to do that, here's what God wants. He wants my life to glorify him by other people being blessed through my life. And I have no capacity to do that on my own. What am I going to be forced to do? I'm going to be forced to come back to the vine. That's what he's going to talk about here. I'm going to be forced to. I have to. Why? Because if I don't abide in him, apart from him I can do nothing. But if you abide in me, if you stay there, if you remain there, you can bear this fruit. All right? And as I come to that, what happens? Well, then he does it. He does it. He brings this to pass in our lives. So now we go to the next section. <clears throat> what is the fruit? What is the fruit? Well, again, if you were to read commentaries, they debate all over the place in this. And even in the metaphor which goes on, it seems at one point like he's changing gears. It seems at the beginning he's thinking about character. It seems at the end that he's talking about other people being brought to God. And again, I think it's a, it's a mistake to try to, to sort it all out because the Lord doesn't sort it all out. He doesn't, <laughs> he just leaves it there. But if we, again, are thinking about this with respect to what they knew about Old Testament passages, 
It has both ends to it. God's purpose for Israel, let's remind ourselves again, His purpose for Israel was that they should live a certain way. And as they lived a certain way in this land, God would bless them in that land. And if they were blessed there, they would draw attention to themselves because of the peculiar way that God promised to bless them. And when people looked and said, why are they blessed like that? They would see the character of the people who were living in there, who were living for each other, which is really what it is. It's laying down your life for each other. That's what the law demanded. It's not just that they kept a set of rules. It's the fact that they lived for each other. All right? And as they saw, as men looked at that, they would see something of what God was like. They would see men and women who committed to their, their spouses and stayed committed to their spouses, who looked out for their children, who looked out for other, other people's children, who weren't concerned so much when a donkey got away of what kind of work I have to do today. They were concerned about that other man's donkey and got it back to him. It's, the law is really not as tough as most people want to make it. It had some tough features because there are some sins which destroy men. And those had to be dealt with. But most of the law is dedicated to to common kindness that should have been experienced. Now, what God says is when that character was there, then people would see the greatness of God. Not because God blessed them, but because this is something, (laughs) the way he looked. So they would seek after the God of Israel. That was the, the theory. So it was character with a purpose. So that what God was looking for was a certain kind of inward character to be developed, which would bring people to an understanding of what God was like. All right? Okay. Now, in this passage, I think the same pattern develops. Early on, he's thinking mostly about character. Why? Because how am I going to show other people what God is like without that character? How could blessing flow if character isn't there? But the purpose of that is to, that people would know God. In here, in this particular passage, he he limits the uh, character. He, he speaks about one particular area, right? If you have my commandments, is if if you abide in me and my words abide in you. An interesting statement there. My words abide in you. The words there are not the logos type of words. These are these are the things I've taught. My teachings. It's a different word for 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 uh, my words. It, it has to do with with the things he said. So if my words abide in you, we could just some of the things we said. If he says seek first the kingdom of God, then you're shaping your life around seeking first the kingdom of God. All right? He says never take your own vengeance. Leave room <laughs> for That's what word of God. That's a little later. But if he gives the command, then this is what it is. This is the way I live. All right. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men. And you let that. He says, let that get into your heart. All right. Abide in me and my words are living there. Then he says, you can ask whatever you want. And it will be done for you. All right. Now, the fruitfulness that he's gotten is that character. But it's unto a purpose. And that purpose is that other people should be permanently blessed because of my life. So it, it covers not only um, bringing people to the Lord himself or the, yourself, but every act of the goodness of God towards people which moves towards that goal. That makes sense. I want to say that because we can, if we reduce it just to um, conversions, the people coming to the Lord, then you can get kind of twisted on that, right? You can, you can get, you know, I'm going to chalk up my numbers here. I'll get to them before you get to them. So I can can lead them to the Lord, not you. But I don't lead anybody to the Lord, and you don't lead anybody to the Lord. The Lord leads them to them, and the church does it as a a whole. He didn't call all of us to do the the bring them to the Lord work, although I think that should happen in almost every life. But how many different things had to happen for you in order for you to come to Christ? How many people interacted with your life and left a permanent change which wasn't bringing to the Lord, but moved you on towards the Lord? How many people, after you were converted, 
interacted with your life and in those interactions left an impression which enabled you to become stronger and stronger and stronger. The Lord has all of that in mind. It's not just character. It is character and this work we do to build each other up all the way from when we are unconverted to the place where we are ready to enter into the presence of God. That whole process is what he has in mind as the work, but that demands a particular character. What is it? What's the character has to be there? Christ-likeness. The Lord has to be the one who brings all that to pass. The Lord alive in us. So that fruitfulness isn't just this end or that end. It is character with a purpose, and the purpose is the building of the church. Now, there's a beauty to all this, and <clears throat> I want to put that down. Um, when you get to the Gospels, there is very little said about being an evangelist. I just want to be real honest with you. If you add up everything that's in the epistles, right, all that's said about what we're supposed to be, it does get to that end, but it doesn't say a lot in detail about it. But it tells us how to be kind to people. It tells us how to live a way where we look like Jesus Christ. It tells us what kind of things we should be and what kind of things we should say. You see, if Stephen isn't a particular kind of man when he is being stoned, then Paul or Saul does not see what he's supposed to see. See, this flow of life isn't... Stephen doesn't know he had any impact, but he does... And what Saul saw on that day when he was watching Stephen die became a goad in his soul that he couldn't escape. And every day he was being prepared to come to God by the actions of a man who never knew that he had any impact at all, but he was living in Christ, right? He was doing, he was abiding in him. All right, And this, this is important for us because you have an impact everywhere you go. You should have an impact everywhere you go because the living Christ is within you. And it's, it's wonderful to think that although I don't know what your needs are, as I get up here to speak, the one who gives me the words does know what your needs are. He knows every person in this room, what you are going through, what conflicts you're having, what doubts you're having, what confusions you have, where you're bound. He knows all about that. I don't. But he can take, and as his life flows, this is what should be happening in every one of our lives. I'm not trying to put myself up there. This is what he's calling all of us to do, to abide in. As I can stand there, he can flow through that if I will remain in faith with him. And through that, reach people in this room in different ways, in different places, in different thoughts, and permanently impact their lives and move them towards glorifying Jesus Christ. It's possible for you. The great part about this is also that as long as you have contact with any human being, nobody can stop you from performing ministry. They can cut us off of the Internet, but they can't stop us from interacting with human beings. And that's where the flow of life comes. The flow of life is Jesus Christ in one man speaking to another man. It's another person. It's person to person. And the fruit is his work in the person who receives, changing that person, moving in them, meeting them where they are, taking the word of God and applying it to them in such a way that they are permanently altered and improved for the glory of God. It's a wonderful potential. It's a wonderful potential for every person in this room. How is it accomplished? It's accomplished by faith. But the passage doesn't talk about faith, so let's look and see what it does. How does it apply? How does he apply this? Well, after he says that he is the true vine, here's what he says to do in verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. You know, when I was younger, I was yes, used to think that, that was too bad. The Lord didn't use a stronger word because it 
you know, it, I had a, a good friend who um, one time just said, that will preach well, that will preach well, that will preach well. doesn't preach very well. There's no, you know, bang, we got to have to, let's hit, abide, remain. You know, how, how exciting is it if I just say, everybody, let's sit. Where should we sit? Right where you are. All right. It, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's not a. It's not the kind of word we want to really have, is it? Because you've already been placed into Christ, and there are whole theologies that say, "Well, you can't do anything wrong here." But but if you can't if you can't mess this up, why would he say anything at all? If there isn't some place, what's he saying? He, he's placed you into Christ. Now, what he says is. In order to do these great things, to go, to go and to bear the fruit, and to go and the fruit that remains, to pray and all the things he's going to say, he says, you're going to have to remain there. And that's where the faith part comes in. I can't meet your need tonight. I can't do that. I have to recognize that. But I have to get up here and speak, right? That's, I, I understand that. If you're appointed, you're appointed. You've got to do what you were appointed to do. So you get up there and speak. But it won't make any difference unless he does what he has to do, unless I remain in him. I have to accept the fact that it is his life, not my life, but also accept this fact that I have his life. Because in that moment when I was, when I passed from darkness to light, the Spirit of God baptized me into the body of Christ, and I became a member of the vine. And because I'm a member of the vine, there's the potential of that life to flow. Now, he asks me to think in terms of that, to act in terms of that, to build my life around that, to live by faith. That's one aspect of the faith. Abide in me. But it's not a, it's not a, a vigorous word. It's just a, this is where it is. Relax. So much in ministry, we get all excited about what we have to do and how we can do this and am I up to that? <laughs> just relax. And come back to what the heart of it is, is what? I am receiving from Jesus a life, and then I am doing what he tells me to do and giving it to somebody else. That's the first thing. So he's got the abiding feature. How do we respond here? I want to tell you the second part. When you're doing that, he says in in the uh, latter part here, abide in my love. Abide in my love. As the Father, how about this? As you're doing all this, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. I think that's an important part to put into this because if in ministry we can get into a real sort of a thought that I have a responsibility, which I do. I've been ordained to this. I have to get it done. It's a have to, have to, have to, have to, have to. He says, "Listen, listen." Before he ever start this, before he ever gets there, he says this. In the same way that the Father loved the Son, I have loved you. That's something tonight. That's, this is, now, what does he say? Abide. This act of faith. And do it in that love. That's why we started this whole thing by going over, uh, and we're getting the application here, we went over the idea of being justified by faith because if i don't understand that i start off in a relationship with god because of repentance and faith he gives me a standing with him which means that the whole love of god can now be directed towards me then i cannot do anything i'm going to end up in life trying to make up for that i will try to figure out a way to cause god to be concerned about me to love me and it all becomes a heavy weight that sits on my head i have to bear fruit but you do have to bear fruit but here's what he says abide how abide in my love abide in my love and he's going to say some other things right? he says if my if you abide in me and he says this and you let my words my sayings, the things I'm telling you, abide in you. Right? You can ask whatever you want. He's going to come back to that at the end. What are you going to be asking for? You're going to be asking for what God wants to bring to pass, to come to pass. You'll be entering into 
this thing. But it's if, if you abide in me, and then he says this, and you, my words abide in you. And what do we say that meant? It's just simple. You're just letting the things which he says govern the way you live. It's not a heavy thought because it has to be related. He says this, that you're to keep my commandments just as I kept my father's commandments. Read through the Gospels and tell me, does Jesus look like he's a bound up man? Does he look like an oppressed individual? He's a completely free individual. He is always ready to meet someone's need. He's never under it. He is always on top of it. Why? Because he kept the commands of his Father. But he's not oppressed by those commands. The work of God in changing, or not changing, not, the work of God is such that when we are changed, we have the desire to do the purposes of God. Now, Jesus didn't have to have that work. I got tied up there, but he doesn't have that work in him. Because he never had anything in him which opposed, which came between him and his father. Father could say, here's my son in whom I'm well pleased. There's nothing about him. He doesn't need a sacrifice because he's already in that place. But he is so in love with his father and his father so in love with him that the obedience is not a matter of commandments that have to be kept that are oppressive because he wants to do something else. But this is the fulfilling of everything for which he came. Now, part of what the passage has to, we have to get is that heavy thing at the end, is that that's the reason you exist. Now, you might do all, you have all kinds of jobs you do, and those are important. It's important to do them a certain way. But what's really important about our lives is that you will run into other people. You're going to bang into other people. And you are going to interact with those people. And what the living God wants to do, what's going to count out there, is what happened in those interactions between you and somebody else. That will remain. The works we do, so much of the work we do, you know, we build, we, we farm, we do all sorts of different things. We invent, but the inventions will disappear. God's better inventor than we are. The buildings we build, they're going to disappear. The kingdoms we create are going to disappear. The governments we, do, we develop, they're all going to disappear. But while all that is taking place... Human beings are interacting with other human beings, and some of those human beings are in Christ. And they are called to meet with the ones who are not in Christ, and he desires that in that interaction between the two of them, a life would pass from the one who knows Jesus Christ in such a way to the one who doesn't know Jesus Christ that they are permanently changed. That's what he's calling for here. If you abide, if, if you abide in me in what? And the things I'm saying are abiding in you. Ask whatever you wish. You'll be, you and me, side by side, we'll be doing it together. That's what prayer is supposed to be. Men and women coming side by side with Jesus Christ to accomplish His purpose. And what is His purpose? That human beings that are right around us come into an experience of blessing in Jesus Christ. Right? Many other things we can pray about, but that's the core of the whole thing. That it should happen. Well, so we... We get to that end. So he ends with that important question. So here, here's what we want to ask ourselves as we get to this point. See, all this is going to happen, but it's going to happen by what? By faith. You have a potential in Jesus Christ because you've been placed into him to give life to people around you. He's going to give it. Spirit of God's going to enable it. But it's going to come through you. That's what we were designed for. That's what we were appointed for. That's the reason he came and snatched us out of the burning and brought us over here so that we could help others get snatched out of the burning. Because I was snatched out of the burning by the Spirit of God, no question about it, but I was snatched out of the burning through people who spoke the Word of God to me, who were willing to interact with me and teach me, and bring me, and be patient with me, and then rebuke me when I needed it, and then bring me into the kingdom of God. The Spirit of God did it. We have to do it. There's a passage in, in the book of Zechariah, which I think is important here. you got to keep the two in, in line. 
where Zechariah is discouraged about the work that's going to be done. It says, not by my, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the, the Lord of hosts. Now, there you, you think about the spirit of God, but it has exactly the same principle. Because he says it can't be done except by the spirit of God, Zechariah, or uh, Zerubbabel, so go forward. But he also says this, the spirit of God will be happy. He'll be glad when he sees the plumb line in your hand. You laid the foundation, and you will put on the top stone. That's a tremendous passage. Who's going to do it? The Spirit of God's going to do it. Who's going to do it? You're going to do it, Zerubbabel. You're going to do it because the Spirit of God is going to work through you to do it. Now, that's exactly the same principle Jesus is bringing up here. Who's going to bring people into blessing? Are they around you? Spirit of God, the living Christ. Who's going to bring them into that blessing? You are. I am. That's amazing, but it's what's going to happen. But it won't be us by ourselves, because without without him, we can do nothing, right? But we're not without him. We are in Christ. And as we abide in him, as we pray, as we interact... And we lean on him by faith. The people around us, the ones that are right there, arms reach, right around us here. They're blessed and the kingdom of God comes to pass. Purpose of God. I'm the true vine. I'm here in order that the world might be blessed. You're the branches. Abide in me. And together, as we walk, we will see the glory of God brought to pass. Let's pray. Father, we come and give you thanks for the high calling in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray for ourselves that you will cause us to see it. That we won't be small in our thinking. We won't be distracted in our thinking. But we might be those whose hearts are tied to your purpose. And because we are united to you and are brought and come to that place of faith, we will see the flow which will mean people blessed for all eternity. We come and trust you for it and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.